I fought a good fight. I finished my football race. And after 18 years, it's time. Basketball players, we're really supposed to shut up and dribble, but I'm glad, I'm glad we do a little bit more than that. Eventually, every ball would go flat, but that doesn't mean that your life will flatline. What will you do when the game is over? Hello, 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 everybody, and welcome to episode 24 of the Endless Hustle Show. I'm Bro Bible's Matt Cohan, and as always, I am joined by my friend, Arthur Cade. Today we have quite the special episode because it is not one guest, but it is two guests. That's how much we love you. We're talking a little movies, we're talking a little football, and I'm going to let my co-host introduce who we have going today. We have two legends on today, Matt. Legend number one is one of the stars of one of the most iconic movie franchises of all time. We have Ernie Hudson, Winston Zedmore from Ghostbusters on. Man, Ernie was Ernie was just amazing, giving us story after story. I could have talked to that guy for two hours. And then we have one of the best offensive tackles of the last 10 to 15 years, Donald Penn, joining us. So we got a little bit of movies. We got a little bit of football. And Matt, by the way, people are going to discover listening to this and seeing this. You are the only person on the planet who has not seen Ghostbusters. And I think Ernie's reaction said it all. Yeah, I, I continue to wear that like a badge of honor. You know, it's become my entire personality at this point. But I will say that I'm considering watching it, but I probably won't. But I, one, one thing I will say about Ernie, he might be the best looking 75 year old I think I've ever seen. Arthur, do you disagree with that? I'm not walking into a bar and competing against Ernie Hudson. That dude is still in fantastic shape. He's, he's getting every woman over me, and I'm, what, 30 years younger than him? Over 30 years younger. Yeah, he looks he looks fantastic. And the funny thing with Ernie is, obviously, with Winston Zedmore and Ghostbusters, that's kind of like his apex mountain moment, and that's what everybody knows him for. But he's really had just an incredible career. I mean, he's been in Congo, huge cold classic, the Basketball Diaries with Leo and Mark. We talked all about it. Leo DiCaprio, Mark Wahlberg, I mean, Miss Congeniality. And one of my favorite all-time shows, Oz, which is one of HBO's most groundbreaking shows, he just starred in Grace and Frankie with the two icons of icons, Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin. But now he has a new movie out called Redemption Day. It's about a U.S. Marine who's on a mission to rescue his wife after she's kidnapped working in Morocco. He talked all about that as well. But what I really, really fucking love, Matt, just getting into the stories around Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, Betty Davis. I mean... He was giving us the goods on everybody and so many great cinematic icons. It was just so cool. Even though I've never seen Ghostbusters, I'd have to agree that this was quite entertaining all around. So without further ado, we present to you our first guest of our two-guest doubleheader here, Ernie Hudson. All right. We are excited to have on The Endless Hustle today, actor, playwright, five-decade industry veteran, Mr. Ernie Hudson. Ernie, thanks for making the time. Hey, thanks, guys, for taking the time. It's great to uh, talk to you. Absolutely. Where does this podcast find you? I'm uh, in Minneapolis, uh, about to head to Los Angeles, I think. Uh, that's the plan, anyway. So you have Redemption Day in theaters on, on digital and on demand. It should be out by the time this is released. Can you give us a little synopsis and how this came to be? Well, the um, Redemption Day is really about uh, a veteran um, who is my son, who comes back. Uh, he's a captain in the Marine Corps, comes back with PTSD, 
uh, has a beautiful family, but just struggling to just hold on. And um, his wife, who's an archaeologist, is kidnapped in a, um, a Muslim country. Uh, and um, he has to go on a mission to save her. And I play um, a dad who's really concerned and trying to support him and hold down the fort while he goes on this mission and to figure out how I can be there for him in a, in a way uh, that is that helps. You have a little military background too, correct? A few months. Well, uh, when you say little, that's, that's the, the key yeah. word there. <laughs> I was in the Marine Corps for like uh, eight weeks. Uh, I'm almost embarrassed to even say that to a lot of guys who spent a lot of years. But uh, I had asthma. I went in during the Vietnam War at the beginning of the war. And, um, but uh, because of the asthma, uh, I was discharged. And um, I really appreciate all the guys who um, stayed and fought. But I'm also appreciative of I came home. <laughs> so. Thank you for your service, kind of. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the courageous eight weeks, Ernie. <laughs> <laughs> and um, trust me, they were difficult weeks. I, uh, you know. Oh, trust me, I probably couldn't last eight minutes. I get it. I was just reading a great article on Ralph Macchio, who's 59 years old, and the whole article was talking about how he hasn't aged. And I'm looking at you, Ernie. You haven't aged either. I mean, what's the skincare secrets here? Well, you know, I uh, I see a lot of uh, good-looking old people, but they're falling apart inside. So, um, but you know, honestly, I yeah, I, I mean, uh, unlike a lot of guys, I wash my face um, a couple times a day and moisturize. <laughs> I do moisturize. Yeah, you know, just basically, you know, I found that uh, I'm probably not going to create anything new when it comes to me. So the ideal thing is just to hold on to what I have and take care of it. So that's that's always been my plan. Here's the most important part of the interview. I've got to tell you, this guy sitting to my left has right. never seen Ghostbusters. Oh, my goodness. You know, there are one or two people in the world. I'm, I'm always surprised when I find them. I'm, I'm the one. So, I mean, is it just you guys? Tell me what it's about. Is it just you guys going around, like, shooting the walls? Like, what, what are you guys doing? Uh, yeah, you know, you really uh, owe it to yourself to take um, an hour or so out and sit down watch the movie, do it with someone that, um, well, you're quarantined now, so whoever you quarantine with. Uh, but it's, it's just one of those really special movies and, you know, film history that, um, uh, you know what, I, I think for me, it's really about that uh, primal fear we all have about ghosts and deaths and what's on the other side and how we cope with it. You know, when you're a kid who's in the closet at, you know, when it's dark and a different way of uh, approaching it. And I think people responded. It's been 35 years now and people still are very uh, excited and moved by it. So definitely you don't want to, you don't, you, you definitely should check I it think out. I, I use it as like a kind of a badge of honor now because every time I say I haven't seen Ghostbusters, they have that same reaction that Arthur did. Like, what? You haven't seen Ghostbusters? And I'm like, yeah, I'm like, I don't need Ghostbusters to be happy, man. Yeah, no, no, it, it, no, it uh, doesn't guarantee to make you happy, but um, uh, it, it definitely will enhance your happiness. So, you know. Ernie's being polite. He's like, what an asshole. I can't believe you didn't see Ghostbusters. <laughs> I might not, it not only did he not see it, he's proud of it. Like, I, I didn't see it. So, yeah. yeah. Ernie, the best part is he's like, so, uh, Ernie Hudson, tell me about this movie you made, Ghostbusters. <laughs> right. Like, like one of the most iconic franchises of all time. Give me a synopsis. We got a few minutes. Yeah. Unbelievable. yeah can you explain it to me 35 years later? The you know, thing is, sure. like, you, 
people like you need to do this because like the, the younger generation, these people with, you know, the TikTok, they're not good. They're not, don't really care what the older generation. So we need you to kind of pass down the good news. Well, but you know, I think for a lot of things that's true, but you'd be amazed at how many little two, three year old kids um, who are introduced to the movie uh, through their parents and their grandparents. I mean, I get so many, I do these cameos and I get so many little kids who reach out. So yeah, so with a movie like Ghostbusters, it really transcends that generational thing. Now, if you want to talk about The Crow, then I say, okay, let me explain it to a young kid. But Ghostbusters, not so much. I want to talk to you about the cameo revolution because there was just this great story about Brian Baumgartner from The Office making a million dollars doing cameos. Yeah. He's such a great character. What What are your cameos like? What are you doing? Well, I guarantee you, I haven't made anywhere close to a million dollars. So um, uh, I, I saw that article and I was like, oh my God, what, what am I not doing here? You're like, I'm um, firing my manager yeah. right there. Right. Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, Cameo is um, one of those things. At, at one point, we had the conventions where it was a safe place to go and fans could meet you and say hello and tell you their stories. You can actually connect with them. And then with pandemic, that's totally out. And so what Cameo is, if um, your kid is a fan of Ghostbusters or The Crow, whatever, they, you can, they can request he's having a birthday party or he's having he's graduating or he's not doing well in school or whatever. Uh, parents can say, or anybody can say, will you give him a shout out? So me, a lot of times in my Ghostbuster outfit or as Monroe Kelly in Congo, uh, I'll say, um, you know, happy birthday and just hang in there or you, whatever, whatever that. And then they respond back through text or whatever. So it's a way that, um, that I've been able to connect with fans on a real personal level without having to get out and meet them and shake their hands and, and do all that. And it's been really a saving grace for me during this shutdown because, because you can, I, buy, you know, gro you I, can buy groceries. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I like to think, and, and I, you know, the people say, well, you can price, I don't know what um, uh, Bumgarn does to what his prices are, but you know, you don't want to price something where people can't afford it. So you want to make it certainly something that, but on the other hand, you, I, would, I don't know if I'd actually do it if I wasn't getting paid something for the time. But um, it doesn't take a lot of time, and it, it seems to have a lot of meaning. Um, people will send me videos of, you know, when they gave it to their dad, and, um, and you see, yeah, it, it seems to mean a lot. So it means a lot to me. What was the craziest cameo request you've gotten? Was there one where you were just like, I can't believe this shit just came in? Well, they, they get a little bit weird. Um, you know, sometimes people, you know, they will, I love it when they say, you know, my son or whatever is having this, you know, anniversary and I can just say whatever I honestly, from my heart feels. But when they tell me specifically to say something that, um, that I, you know, that I kind of don't say, a lot of times I get people want me to promote project products, which I don't, I won't do. And it's really kind of a, a funny line. So can't think of anything off the top that was really bizarre, but they, yeah, any requests that. Sometimes people want me to, I got a request uh, the other day where they wanted me to curse this person out. And they say, do it because uh, he'll, it'll be fun and he'll enjoy it. But I'm like, I really, I don't know. I can't really go there. So you no know, one's asked you to break up with their girlfriend or boyfriend? They, they come in sometimes, yeah, you know, that uh, the relationship is misunderstood, it's time to move on, and will you say, which I, I, I won't do that either. 
So you kind of got to go, okay, this is, this makes sense to me or something doesn't make sense. People ask me to put on the Ghostbuster jumpsuit or I have a Slimer doll. Kids want to see Slimer. But when it gets into some stuff that's, um, uh, I, I, I got literally uh, about three days ago, a lady who had died. And so at her service, I never met her, so I didn't know her, but supposedly I was, she was a big fan of mine and they wanted me to speak uh, at her service and you know, I, you know, and um, I, I'm not sure what to say, you know, uh, so. Go so, Yeah, you know. You had to give the eulogy at a funeral. That's amazing. You should have yeah. been like, I love me. I love this town. Right. Yeah. You know, and uh, I promise not to bust you, but I thought that might not have been appropriate. So um, it's, it, yeah, it gets a little bit. No, because people want something and where you draw that line and how you do it. But um, but for the most part, people are just really, you know, genuinely wanting to uh, give somebody something that um, I think when I was a kid, if I could have got a, a cameo from Gary Cooper, or one of the actors that I really looked up and really admired in movies, uh, it would have been really very, very special. So. I don't know anybody I'd want to get a cameo from these days, but, but I'm happy that people do. It means a lot to me. After I watch Ghostbusters, Arthur, you can get me that. You can get me a cameo from Ernie Hudson to celebrate. My I'm going to have him say, hey, fucker, how'd you like the movie that you tried to have me explain? So Ernie, so Dan Aykroyd appeared on, the, I think, the Joe Rogan podcast last year, and he said that a ghost, did you see this? A ghost slipped between his covers in his Beverly Hills home and tried to make a pass at him? Well, actually, you know, Danny's one of the writers on the movie and he actually wrote a scene where we go to this firehouse and, um, and we spend the night and during the night, a ghost comes in and slips under the covers and gives him head. So they filmed that, but then I, I guess somebody thought well, maybe it's not such a good idea. So that never really showed up in the movie. But um, so, but Danny, you know, he, he comes from a generations of people who believe in spirits and ghosts and hauntings and, and all that. So for him, it's not like, I mean, he really, it, it's real to him. And uh, it's always fun to hear him sort of explain, you know, the fifth dimension of, uh, I don't get it. I'm not there, but, but, uh, but if he says, yeah, he's, he's, um, and I, I think some people believe that if you open yourself up to believing that they will begin to connect with you. Honestly, I don't want any connection. If, if, you know, if a friend dies, I'm like, you know, I'll see you when I get there, but please don't visit me now. I don't, you know, I'm, I'm not there. I want to talk about another one of your famous former cast members, Bill Murray, enormous Chicago sports fan. Yeah. Talk to me about a working with Bill. Some, I, there's gotta be so many great stories. We hear them peripherally from different people. But also, did he get into his Chicago fandom on set? Yeah, you know, I, I was uh, I was amazed. We, we shot the first, well, the both movies in New York. And um, and I was just, I love the way Bill related to his fans, even though he, he, he can be, he's Bill Murray. And he does what he wants to do and you can't, you can't bribe him. That's the first thing I really admired about him is because I have a price. You know what I mean? At a certain price, I'm like, okay. But Bill does what Bill wants to do. And, uh, and I was just amazed how people would, you know, stop their cars in the middle of the street and jump out and run over and hug him. And he just had this really great, great connection uh, with people. 
when we were shooting the new movie, uh, as a gift to me and, and the other cast members, he got a, a Thai a massage for us and uh, everybody else backed out, but I'm like, it's Bill. And I, you know, he it was kind enough for him to do that. So I'll go, we, we ended up shooting late. And then um, we, I got to the hotel about one in the morning and there's a Thai lady standing outside the door with her table. <laughs> so I go in and she starts this massage that is so painful. And I'm too embarrassed to scream because I'm a guy and I kind of bear it. And then I go out, when she finishes, we go out to the hallway and Bill is out there with his lady. And he says, hey, Ernie, wasn't it great? And I'm like, uh, you know, he says, hey, ladies, can you come back in the morning at eight? Now it's already three o'clock in the morning. So they come back the next morning and she does this thing and I'm just in such pain. And when it was over, my wife said, oh my God, you're bleeding. They had broke through the skin. <laughs> I have scars on my back now. And I, and I kept thinking, why was I trying to be polite and not, not scream and not just say no? And I don't know, maybe that says something about me. I don't know. But I love Bill. He's, yeah, he's full of surprises. And so, uh, but don't accept the Thai massage, whatever you do. I thought knowing Bill, the Thai massage would be like a Robert Kraft Thai massage where it's, you know, that, that, they have in, that they have in New York. It's like, I haven't been actually, but um, I've heard. Yeah, yeah, no, he, um, Billy is, um, he's just a great guy. And I just have so much uh, love and respect. You know, Bill Murray was the only guy when they talked about doing a sequel that said, I won't do it uh, unless Ernie Hudson's in it. And uh, you don't get that kind of loyalty in this business. And so I, I just, I just really appreciate him for being who he is. Did he get into Chicago sports on set? And was it annoying as hell? <laughs> You know, actually not. I mean, he has a, I, I have a house in Minneapolis and uh, he has the St. Paul Saints. I think he has a piece of that team. So, um, you know, we never really kind of got into sports. I mean, we, uh, you know, he likes to hang out. I'm, I, you know, I've always been, I've always had kids and family. My wife travels with me, so I'm not doing a lot of hang out, hanging out, but, um, but yeah, no, we never, and I, and I don't really understand sports. So, which is, I just never got it. I, I, I don't. Uh, people always assume I played football or something, but I, honest to God, I just, I've always been sort of into more just spirituality or, or writing or the arts or theater, but I don't, I don't get basketball or football or, I mean, that's, yeah, I, I hate it. I just don't get the importance, you know? That's, that's the funny thing is because you grew up not far from Detroit and I was like, he's got to be a Red Wings fan or have some great Red Wings stories. Yeah, no, I just never, I, I did box. I, I fought golden gloves for when I was, you know, in high school. But, uh, and I, you know, I, I did a, a show called The Great White Hope where I played an ex heavyweight champion. So boxing has been kind of a part, I, I enjoy it. And I enjoy watching, my brother was really into, um, into sports. So I enjoy watching it with him, just seeing his reaction to whatever is going on. But me personally, um, I, I don't get it. Before I get off the Bill Murray topic, he's notorious for not having a cell phone and people trying to pitch him projects have to like call an 800 number. There's so many fables out there. How do yeah. you get in touch with Bill Murray? You know, it doesn't. I, I, this is this is true. A few times a year, I'll get a call from Bill Murray and say, here and he's getting, in fact, I just got invited to a party he's giving. And uh, I'm like, Bill, I'm working. And uh, I'm, I'm gonna say, he said, well, call in sick. I'm like, I, I can't call in sick. 
but he'll call me. But then when I call him back, I can never reach him. So that's, um, I don't know how people get in touch with him, but apparently it works for him. But I don't know how you get in touch. I mean, I, I have a number, but I, yeah, I, I have to wait for him to reach out to me. Obviously, the success of Ghostbusters is undeniable. But if you had to exchange that role for a role in any other movie spanning back as far as you'd like, what would you choose and why? I don't know. I mean, I, I'd, I'd love to now uh, get involved. Louis Desposito is uh, president of Marvel, and uh, he's been a friend for a while. And I keep saying, uh, Louis, uh, when am I going to join the Marvel Universe? I mean, I'd love to, uh, or the DC Universe. I mean, I, I, I love those those kind of roles yeah i mean i love the winston character but you know it wasn't the end all and be all role i mean it was it was a it was a fun role but um yeah you know i mean i mentioned the great white hope james earl jones played the part in the movie i would love to play that part but there been a lot of wonderful amazing and still are you know that um that i would love to i'm an actor so you're always looking for a role that you can really get into i think ghostbusters for me was a wonderful ensemble and I'm so thankful that the fans embraced the character, but just in terms of a an ideal role, you know, there, you know, it, it was okay. I mean, I'm, I'm thankful. One of those movies that's one of my all time favorites is The Basketball Diaries. I fucking love that movie. When you're on set and you're looking at young Leo, young Marky Mark at that point, like, what do you, did did you know that these were going to become two of the biggest A listers ever? You know, you, when you work with people, especially young people, certain people have a certain charisma, a certain presence, a certain professionalism. They're just a little bit different than the other kids. You know, and I work with, I've done a lot of shows, like I said, it's been 50 years. And they, they definitely had something about him. I loved Leo and I loved his commitment to, I mean, he just really committed to the character. I think the movie probably didn't do well because I think uh, white America did not want to see inner city white kids on drugs, you know, had it been uh, a different community, it would have been, I think, more successful. But yeah, no, they were, uh, they, they, they were great. But it, it, you could tell then, you know, I knew uh, the way Leo just sort of committed to it that, you know, that he's going to be fine. I mean, he's going to be, you know, he's, he's in it for life and, and, and Mark the same way. Other, other people, they, they have success because of a look or a certain thing, but you just know that that longevity, whether it be here for 10 years from now or 20 years from now, that's a different kind of uh, commitment. Here's a million dollar question. Were the supermodels already coming on set? Were they shuffling in and out? <laughs> well, you know, you look at a guy, uh, especially like Leo or uh, Mark, or uh, like I said, certain people have that certain thing and you see how women respond to them. I've never had that kind of response. I mean, not that I was a bad looking guy or anything, but it's um, there's something in that confidence that they have it's a whole other level of playing that, uh, you know. Yeah. I got asked a question that I have had so many times people giving different answers to, but I'm going to ask you, if you were to go back in time and you could choose to either be Frank Sinatra in his prime or Leo in his prime, who are you? Frank Sinatra or Leo or, DiCaprio? Yep, in their prime. In their prime. Oh, God. It is, it, yeah, I'd, I'd say... Um, I love Leo. I love, he's a wonderful actor, but Frank Sinatra, I mean, come on. It's like, uh, I don't even know what that kind of, uh, because it wasn't just that he was a singer, but I mean, he was just, it just seemed like he was living his life, the good, the bad, all of it. And, um, you know, and there was a time when you could do that. Now times have changed. You know, I don't know if a guy like Leo has that kind of freedom 
to be all of that, you know, that um, 50, 60 years ago, they were able to do, able to say that, you know, now it's, we were clear that that's not allowed or inappropriate. So I, I would think that Frank had a, a, a broader ability to be all that he wanted to be. You've been doing this for almost 50 years in an industry as temperamental as they come. What do you think explains your longevity and what one piece of advice would you give to actors just getting started? Well, when I discovered theater, because I didn't you know, grow up wanting to be an actor, but when I discovered acting and I felt like this is an area that I could be in, my, my prayer and the one thing I wanted to do was to be a working actor. If I become a star, that's great. If I become super famous, that's great. If I make a lot of money, that's great. But, but I wanted to be an actor and, um, and I sort of worked to, to develop the skills and that was my focus. Now, you hope you do your job well and all these other things will come, but it's no guarantee. And I've never really, you know, I'm going to a role thinking, uh, is this going to give me an Academy Award? I mean, if that were to happen someday, that's great, but that's not my concern. My concern is I want to do this job well, so hopefully there'll be another job. Whatever reason I'm in it, uh, I will grow and learn and um so it's really about the work and not about all the things that come with it. And most people I meet coming into it, it's it's about the other stuff. You know, I'm going to be popular. I'm going to be famous. I'm going to make some money. I'm going to be able to travel. I'm going to, it's going to give me all these things. And I never thought so much about what it was going to give me other than my sense of, you know, discovering who I am and discovering life and so Ghostbusters, obviously, you that movie is made during a very different time, both socially and culturally. Yeah. Now we're seeing many more roles for minorities, African-Americans, et cetera, et cetera. Back then, wasn't the case. No. When no. you end up being this African-American Ghostbuster amongst a cast of mainly white people, what was the reaction? And were there any negatives that you had to deal with during that time? Well, you know, it's kind of hard because... Uh, I, I, you know, being black in America, which is, you know, there are a lot of things that go on and it's easy to ascribe everything bad that happens uh, to being racial. You know, it's easy for me to say, well, you know what I mean? I, I didn't get a parking spot. You know, if I had been a white guy coming through, I would have had a space. You know what I mean? And so you have to kind of go, no, let me just put that aside and let me realize that everything is not about that and people aren't even thinking things that you assume they're thinking. So when I got into uh, the business, parts were not open. The roles were not really complete. I mean, you know, you're in a movie, but it's not a real character. I'm like, I'm asked to do things that I don't even understand why they're doing it because it makes no sense. But as time has gone by, uh, that's certainly gotten a lot better. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I always you know, always realize that it wasn't personal, that whatever choices people are making has a lot to do with their issues more so than with mine. So uh, I did, I tried not to take, unless it was just blatantly. And every time I would assume that uh, it was something racial, uh, I would do something and I realized that I was completely wrong. So, uh, so, you know, the old thing my mother, grandmother told me growing up was judge not, so I just find I'm really not in a position to judge why anybody is doing whatever they're doing. And that sort of kept me sane. Was there ever a moment because you did help break barriers being part of this iconic franchise that someone who may have grown up seeing you in this role right. strive to achieve something in their life and credited you because of that role? 
Yeah, yeah. And oddly enough, uh, people assume there'll be just all young black kids who watched it and suddenly saw a black character who didn't die at the end of the movie. <laughs> there used to be all these things, you know, if you're black, okay, when is he going to die? He's coming up soon, you know. But I think uh, a lot of white kids identified with the character. I mean, kids of all nationalities. And because I think Winston was kind of the everyman in the movie. And, um, and I think they felt that they could fit in. There was a place that they could fit in and be a part of and be a productive part. I had a lot of parents, like I said, the cameo stuff, I, I, I get a lot. I remember pumping gas at a gas station up in Lake Arrowhead and a car drove by and then did a U-turn and came back and thanked me because apparently I had signed an autograph on a photo for his son and his son put the photo, uh, the photo up in his bedroom and started studying and turned his life around. And, and now he's graduated from college and I'm directly. So sometimes a connection that people pull from things that you're even unaware of. And a lot of it has to do with, yeah, they saw the movie Ghostbusters. And I think part of also being in the industry to be represented, it means a lot because people are going to go, yeah, I'm, I'm a part of this. And when you're excluded, it's like, well, wait a minute, this is America, but where am I? And I think a lot of people feel that way. So just, um, and to have, a, I think, a character that is universal that anyone can relate to, it says that um, I'm not just this, but I can be and I can do. Uh, and it shouldn't take a movie to do that, but I think movies do do that. And that young man was Barack Obama. No. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like the guy who uh, sees a guy who looks like him and he gets the girl. And you kind of go, well, wait a minute, yeah, I can get the girl, but you know, if the guy who gets the girl never looks like you, it's like, well, sure, if you look like him. You're a Yale-educated film guy. You could go toe-to-toe -to -toe with nearly anyone on the planet with industry experience. With that said- What, 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 what do you mean nearly? <laughs> Actually, I don't know. Maybe I can't even pick one. No, no, go ahead. Right. I'm sorry. I mean, you could go toe-to-toe -to -toe with anyone on the planet with industry experience. With that said, what is the worst movie that you love? Like, do you have one guilty pleasure? Uh, that I, I, I enjoy watching or that I made? No, just you enjoy watching. Like, the, the movie that wasn't exactly, you know... I, I don't know. You know, you, you, you... It's funny. I think you bring to the movie as much as you get out of the movie. So there are some movies, I guess, you know, I did a movie called Penitentiary 2 that was so awful, or The Human Tornado, and I kind of go, but yet I kind of get why people really like it. They're very popular in a lot of ways. Uh, but in terms of uh, me watching, um, nothing comes to mind, but, um, but certainly a lot of movies where people will come and say that is the best movie, The English Patient, for example, I don't get, I, I know something is happening there because it's really, really important to a lot of people, but I miss something. And I'll even go back and watch them again and again. I kind of go, is it just me or? Yeah, I, uh, I, I don't know. Nothing quite comes to mind that, uh, and I will say I don't watch a lot of movies. I mean, I, I never watch myself more than once. If I'm in a movie, I'll watch it, just make sure that everything was okay. But I don't go back and revisit. So I'm not a movie buff in that sense. I mean, I like movies, but it's not what I automatically do a lot of. I want to talk to you. I want to talk to you about ballers because we had recently Jay Glazer on the show, who's good friends with The Rock, and right. he struggled to tell us anything bad about The Rock, but he did tell us some great stories about ballers. What was that experience like? Yeah, it was great because I didn't do a lot of work on. It. I worked on one episode, and um, uh, and The Rock was really gracious and. Um, he actually came up and asked if he could take a photo with me, which is <laughs> was kind of cute. But um, 
I didn't realize, I thought it was a big guy until I, I saw the photo of me standing next to him. And I'm like, my God, this is a, a big man. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I don't know. I, you know, it was one of those shows I think I worked a couple of days on. So um, I you wasn't there enough. Experience. To, yeah, you didn't yeah, get to get, uh, yeah, I mean, to, uh, I was amazed I got there, which was unusual to, because we were there for a few hours and I'm like, well, where's The Rock? And uh, the first four or five hours, he's actually doing his social media, I'm told, which is different. I mean, I, I don't even know how to deal with Facebook. I just I deliberately stay away from uh, sharing my thoughts with the world. But, uh, but he apparently is, I don't know how many millions and millions of people. Uh, followers he has but but he spends a lot of time doing it and that was i was impressed with that can you say one bad thing about the rock everyone who's met the rock we we ask ask the same thing can you say one bad character flaw or anything we're still searching here well i just think uh you know i wore a shaved head for a long time i think there's a weird peak in his head um but that's uh <laughs> that's this is just me I, you know <laughs> I've noticed that too. I can't believe you brought that up. I've always thought he has this little triangular top thing going on. Yeah, it's it's a little weird. I mean, you can you can work the arms and the body, but the head, I don't know. You kind of came with that. I'm sorry, but it looks a little weird to me. I can't wait till Dwayne hears this and all of a sudden Ernie can't get a job in Hollywood because he's the most powerful guy there. And he's like, hey, remember, you, you go to get a role and they're like, nah, we're going to have to pass on you, Ernie. And they're going to be like this. Right. Yeah. Well, why? Well, I don't know, Ernie. Something about your head. You know, I'm see. I'll probably take the picture we took and rip it up now. You know, so. <laughs> I was going to ask about Grace and Frankie. Jane Fonda. I've interviewed Jane a million times. What a personality and what a fox, by the way. I feel awful saying that, but the woman's fucking gorgeous. Yeah. What are your What are your thoughts on Jane Fonda? Like, I, you know, talk about an icon. Yeah, no, I, you know, when I started out, she was already a big star. I mean, she's royalty. We we shot, um, we shoot Grace and Frankie uh, at Paramount Studios, and uh, a couple blocks up on, I think, it's Santa Monica, uh, her her father, the Peter Fonda Theater, is right there. I mean, you know, I mean, it's kind of. Uh, I, and she's she's just incredible. She looks amazing. And it's, uh, you know, I mean, to live your best life. You know, my grandmother, when I was growing up, said, you know, your, your job or what you're responsible for is to be an example of what's possible. She believed in God. So your life should reflect what God is, is capable of. So if you're going to be an old man, be a healthy old man. You know, if you're going to live a life, live a good life. And uh, and I look at Jane and she just represents the best of everything. And her beliefs, she, she put it on the line. We were working. She was going and doing sit-ins and protesting. And she went to my hometown, Benton Harbor, Michigan, and, and, and was part of a rally. I was in Paris. I've never gone to Benton Harbor, Michigan and expressed my feelings about whatever. So I just had so much admiration for her and Lily Tomlin as well. I, I just love Lily. She's so down to earth and so incredible. So it was a great show to... Uh, to be a part of. And I think of all the years, I've been acting for over 50 years, and um, I've had a, the good fortune of working with some amazing people. Betty Davis, I did a, a movie with, and, you know, I, I, just Lawrence Olivier, I was in a movie with and got a chance to to meet him. And, and the years go by, but there's some really just amazing people, not just because they're really good at their craft, but just really incredible citizens. Jane Fonda, to me, aside from the acting and everything else, she's just uh, has a commitment to 
to life and to culture and to this world that uh, she stepped up to. And I'm really very, very proud of that because I can't always say that I've, I feel I've done that. It's funny you mentioned that because I was going to ask you, you've been around some of the greatest cinematic and cultural icons who have lived. Is yeah. there one where you just were like, holy shit, I can't believe I'm either acting opposite this person or meeting this person? Yeah, I mean, that happens. I started with Betty Davis because I, I mean, as a little kid, I'm, you know, Betty, this is Betty Davis. And, uh, and uh, she, she played, I think the movie was called some, it was a TV movie called White Mama, which is, anyway, <laughs> it was about a white lady who adopts a black kid. And I'm the high school principal and she's trying to get him enrolled in the school and I won't let him in. But I have all of this dialogue to run. And um, she touched my hand and said, you're absolutely wonderful. You know, when somebody who you admire says something or gives a compliment like that, I, I can still feel the touching my hand. Uh, Ozzie Davis, who I was a huge fan of, I was in New York and uh, his wife was doing a play. I went to see the play. And when I came out, he was standing talking to a group of people and I walked up and he turned and uh, he said to everyone there, he put his arm around me and he said, this man makes me proud to be an actor. And I, you know, so, you know, you just kind of go, okay, I'm, I'm good, I'm good, so. You have so many iconic lines from Ghostbusters. Yeah. What's the one that most often gets asked for recital? Well, the one that people are most embarrassed to say, but they really want to say, and I can see it before they even say the words. They really want me to say, I have seen shit that'll turn you white, but. <laughs> But they, they don't know quite how to ask, but they really sort of want that. And, uh, but of course, um, you know, um, who are you going to call, which actually wasn't my line, but it's from, from the song. Um, that's a big Twinkie. Uh, all the time, you get that's a big Twinkie. Um, I'll tell them about the Twinkie. If there's a steady paycheck in it, I believe anything you say. Uh, that, that comes up a lot. Um, you know, uh, we got the tools, we got the talent. Uh, that comes up a lot. Uh, this job is definitely not worth eleven five a year. So there's a lot of you know a lot of lines that I never you you just doing the movie that uh, fans have sort of locked onto and um, and they quote yeah it's still still around quoting them. Oddly enough, that that was mostly from the first movie. Uh, the second movie, I don't know many quotable lines from that one, but um, yeah, I, it it turned out to be uh, there was some really really good lines in it. How about craziest fan experience from the franchise? Does someone run up to you on the street or something crazy where you're just like? Yeah, you know, I was, uh, I've worked, I've shot a few films in Chicago and of all the places that I've shot, I could not go out at night on a weekend. From Friday through Sunday, I would not be seen on the street because the fans in Chicago would literally run up to go, hey, dude, Ernie Hudson, and they would grab me and lift me up and shake me. I mean, it didn't happen once or twice. It happened all the time. Like, just totally invading the space. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, just said, no, this is like too, too much. Um, but, uh, you know, being, uh, I was at a spa in Los Angeles and in the toilet, you hear about these things, but the guy finished urinating and looks over and sees me and he wants to come over and shake my hand. And I'm like, I'm not done here, dude, back up, you know. Uh, people, it's that feeling of, I know you, I've seen you my whole life. You've been in my house, in my living room, and you know, and I can say whatever I want to say because you you know I mean this. Uh, even though I did a movie with uh, Jim Belushi, uh, and 
Jim wouldn't, um, he wouldn't sign autographs. You know, he would say, I'll shake your hand or I'll say hello. But, uh, and I said, why, why won't you? And he said, you know, you know, Ernie, they hate you. And I said, they hate you? He said, yeah. He said, give them five minutes. And I didn't understand what he was saying, but it's, it's true. With most people, a lot of people, I'll say, they will, the first five minutes is, oh, I love you so much. I saw that movie. It's the best. You, you're my favorite actor. You're so wonderful. Five minutes later, you know, but why did you do that other movie? Because you really weren't very good. And, you know, you put on a lot of weight. What happened? Are you okay? Because I saw that movie and it really kind of sucked. Why did you do that? It's, like, it's all the opposite stuff that's been sort of waiting to unload. You know, so I, I don't, I try not to last, stick around more than four minutes and I know it's time to back up and leave. Ernie, this was awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, oh, kind of makes you want to see Ghostbusters. Listen, you got you to gotta see it for your own sake. You don't even have to tell anybody you saw it. Just check okay. it out. I'll tell you. <laughs> but in the meantime, everybody go watch Redemption Day, Ernie's new movie. It's out everywhere. Congrats, Ernie. Thanks for a fabulous interview, man. Thank you, guys. Good talking to you. All right, folks, that was Winston Zedmore himself, Ernie Hudson. All I can tell you, Matt, is as much as I love Bill Murray, I will not let him get me a tie massage after hearing the, the, the story from uh, from Ernie. That was, that's something, I mean, when you're scarred for life, that was a hell of a massage. Yeah, I mean, I don't know whether he should, like, thank him or maybe, like, press charges against him. I mean, that was a wild story of uh i thought it was going to end a little differently for those who know the uh how some of those parlors are in new york city you know maybe he just didn't want to divulge that information on our airways today yeah the other cool thing is ghostbusters is not only the most iconic franchise probably in the sci-fi universe or at least on the mount rushmore but it's being rebooted and it's coming out this year with ghostbusters afterlife and paul rudd's going to be in it stranger things finn wolfhard I mean, so it, it's interesting because when you're part of something like that, if you can live long enough, you're going to still make money. And Ernie gets to be part of the new Ghostbusters reboot, which he talked about, and that's pretty cool. But just also hearing about the influence and how people still react to that character and that cast 20, 30, 40 years later is just remarkable. And I, I love to, I, anytime we can get in with these legends and hear these great stories, I'm like a little kid. I'm like, can we just grab beers? I just want to listen to all this shit. So it was really great. Yeah, we've yet to grab a beer with one of our guests. Obviously, COVID, you know, kind of puts a barrier up against that. But we, Jay Williams did say he would grab a beer with you because you live right down the street. So that was like two months ago. So if you don't hold him to the fire on that, like when this is all done, then you're no longer my co-host. <laughs> I'm going to be leave the apartment right now and just walk down to wherever he's at and be like, Jay, let's go grab a drink. Remember me. Fuck ESPN. Let's go drink. <laughs> All right. We're switching gears now to a little foosball. Next up is Donald Penn. You may know Donald from his time with the Bucks, the Raiders, most recently the Redskins. He is a true L.A. sports fan. We talked all about his career, his diet, his teammates. Arthur, anything to add before we jump in? Pretty much this guy could probably break your neck and my neck within three seconds. What an absolute beast. And just kind of getting the inside football insight from him. I, I love hearing this stuff. You know, offensive linemen are the most underglorified position in football, but yet one of the hardest positions in football. And very few people did it as well as Donald Penn. And considering how much of a just beast this guy was, 
I always love seeing the contrast of beast on the field, but nicest guy you can imagine off of the field. And one of the things we really dove into with him and people I think are going to really appreciate this is what happens when you start signing those big contracts and everybody starts coming out of the woodwork. And he talked all about that and how he handles that. I always love hearing about what fame is like and money's like and how you have to keep the hangers on away from you because I don't know if you just saw the story, Matt. I'm sure you just did. But Evander Kane from the NHL, from the San Jose Sharks, just filed for bankruptcy. And he has like $10 million in assets and like $40 million in debt. And he's a perfect cautionary tale to the opposite of what Donald Penn was talking about, which is protect your money. Yeah, I think it was $26 million. It's like, how? what are you buying? Strippers, like- baby. Strippers. <laughs> All right. Well, in that case, it's money well spent. All right. Without further ado... Here is Mr. Donald Penn. All right. Thrilled to have on the Endless Hustle podcast today, Utah State legend, three-time Pro Bowler, and touchdown machine, Mr. Donald Penn. Thanks for making the time, my man. Nah, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, you know, I'm a huge fan of, of linemen scoring touchdowns because you guys don't play the most glamorous positions in the game, and you're like the big guy touchdown king. You're, aren't you tied for receiving scores? Aren't you fourth or four receiving Yeah, scores? I definitely – yeah, I got four. I'm tied uh, for big man uh, touchdown. I wish I would have had a chance to break the record, but, hey, we'll see. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. But, yeah, it feels good because, like you say, we don't get a lot of recognition, so I – I always wanted to, and I always felt I've been an athlete, you know, growing up. I always had good hands, been able to catch good. So, you know, it just took a lot of lobbying, catching passes from quarterbacks before practice starts and stuff, showing them what I got, and then I finally got it through. Do you have a favorite score? Probably my first one, because it was the first one. And then definitely the one against the Bucks. my old team. That felt real good. I see you wearing a Dodgers hat. How – Fucking awesome was it to see the Dodgers win the World Series? Man, you know I'm L.A. in and out all through and through. I'm L.A. all day. So, yeah, it felt good, especially, um, you know, with the Lakers winning two with the uh, un- unfortunate death of Kobe. I think the city really needed this. It helped the city out. It uplifted us. And we really needed this, especially with everything that's going on with COVID and Kobe. I think that was really, really big and strong for L.A. You're almost like the anti-LeBron because you chose football over basketball despite being all state in hoops. You turned down a couple offers from what I from what I read. Was that was that an easy decision for you? And do you ever look in the rearview mirror during those cold winter practices in Utah? Nah. <laughs> and the winter practices did, did make me make me double think it a lot. Maybe <laughs> want to go home sometime. But um I don't know if I would have made it in the NBA. Um, you know, with all these tall guys taking over you know I, I stopped growing I started getting wider <laughs> so uh you know a lot of these guys you know Barkley was 6'5 play but you know it's not too many Barkley so you know I started getting more looks and more attention at uh football you know the high school I tried to do it in college for a little bit but man it was too hard to keep up with school and stuff so you know, I thought I think I really did make the right decision, though. But man, I do miss basketball. I love it. I'm mad right now. COVID's going on because I can't play. It's probably been the longest in my life I haven't played basketball ever. There's a, a great post on your Instagram about how you and your dad sat behind Jack Nicholson at a Lakers game. Do you guys try to get Jack's attention? Like, if I was behind Nicholson, I would just I fuck the game. I would literally be like, 
Jack, Jack, like what happens when you're right behind him? Uh, you got to play it cool. Yeah, you can't do that. During one of the timeouts, he stood up and stretched and turned around. And then my dad gave him uh, a nod. He he gave it he gave it, he gave it back. But that was all we had, though. But at least we, you know, that's something he acknowledged us. He saw us, though. But I've, I've sat behind uh, Floyd Mayweather before, too. My son's got a picture with him there. I've sat behind a couple of guys there. Because I like that little area right behind the bench. I can stretch my legs out. Because <laughs> I'm so tall. <laughs> Speaking of Floyd Mayweather, he just announced that he's going to be fighting YouTube star Logan Paul. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, really? I mean, one of the goats against a YouTube star. When you see these types of exhibitions, as a guy who has spent so many years perfecting his craft, what are your thoughts? It's probably an 80-20 split for Floyd. So that's probably the only reason he's doing it. I mean, would you turn that down too? You know, the way way pay-per-views going nuts and stuff like that. Would you turn that down? But I know, I know Floyd probably knowing Floyd and him being a businessman. I know he probably has a large, a large split, a large cut compared to what the YouTubers going to get. And uh, you know, it's a business move. He's a business. He's a business guy. As long as he just goes out there and takes care of business, no, you know, it only takes one punch from anybody. I mean, the the way I look at it, though, it, it would be like me saying right now, "Hey, I'm going to go out on the on the field and have you like try to rush against you." People would, there's just no comparison. So as a professional athlete, you spend your whole life getting to this level. And now we're living in this culture where guys think they can be at your level. That would annoy the shit out of me if I was a pro athlete. Well, don't take this the wrong way, but uh, Logan, or Paul, he's been, whatever his name is, he's been training. See, if you try to get on the football field with me, that would really, really be bad because, you know, <laughs> you haven't done any training. You know, I, I'm still working out every day. You know, I'm still in great shape, you know. And I wouldn't want to do that to you. But, you know, at least the guy is training, has been training for, I think, at least two, three years now boxing. So he has a little bit of experience. But me and you, man, I wouldn't want to do that to you, man. That would that would be bad. But it's it's entertaining. It's entertaining. You know, I, I wish I felt the fight with him and Nate was entertaining. I wish it was longer, but it was entertaining. But, you know, let people do it. That's a new age. They're, they're, they're brothers. So, Logan, the brother, is actually fighting Floyd. And Jake just obviously crushed Nate. It's the two brothers. Oh, so, oh, man, I forgot they are brothers. Yep, yep. So, oh, it's the other one. Well, he's been doing it even longer, hasn't yeah, he? Yeah, he's he, – don't sleep on Logan, dude. He's jacked. Yeah, that's why I said he's been doing it even longer. Yeah. He's going against Floyd, guys. It's like <laughs> – that is the equivalent of me trying to rush Donald Penn. It would be like literally like Don, you'd put your fingers right here and break my fucking larynx. <laughs> well, you know, Floyd's going to be ready and Floyd never gets hit. So let's going to see how entertaining it is. We're going to see how far Paul's going to take it too. Cause you know, that might, you know, you, you know, Floyd does get mad kind of. Yeah. I mean, I just, it just shows how uh, money driven Floyd is because like he really can't, like, if he wins, he's supposed to win. But if he even gets a good, like, if he even gets, like, a cut, he's – it's going to, like, damage the sport of boxing forever, in my opinion. If he even gets connected, hit, it's going to be – especially Floyd, the one who doesn't ever get hit, dodges everything. If he gets connected, it's going to be – I'm going to watch. I'm oh, not going to lie. I'm going to watch. I'm going to watch. Oh, yeah. Why wouldn't you? It's entertainment. Uh, I'm definitely going to watch. Who was the hardest dude to block? Like, who gave you the most fits? You know, the thing is, I get asked that question so much. And it's like so many guys do so many different things and you got to attack them a different way or look for something different. It's like really, really hard to sum up, you know, just like one one guy. But when I first got in the league and I was playing for Tampa, uh, 
you know, John Abraham in Atlanta, he gave me a lot of problems. I had to learn him and get to know him. And then after like my first two years playing against the, you know, he didn't sniff the quarterback ever. The Marcus Ware was great. You know, my first my first professional start was against the White Freeney in Indianapolis. Did, did he spin move you? <laughs> yeah, he tried it, but I was ready for I was waiting on that move the whole game. <laughs> I was sitting on it. He could have did anything else to me, but I was not letting that spin get me. So it's it's like a learning process too. Like being an offensive lineman is like you you learn guys like ticks and oh yeah, you definitely learn guys. You know, you know a guy that I used to hate playing. Um, not necessarily that he really got like a lot of sacks or stuff like that on me. He was just it was just always just I just knew it was gonna be like we were gonna battle and it was just gonna be like oh man like he just wasn't gonna ever let up and it was just it was just tough. Was Tom Ali. You guys remember him? He played for Kansas yep. City. Yep. Um, he was a beast. Was, he played for a couple other teams. Man, I mean, he had he had some, he had a hard, thick head. I mean, we used to hit sometimes, and I'd just be like, bro, like, when are you going to stop bull rushing? Like, when are you going to stop? And, you know, of course, you got the Von Millers. You know, man, Von's always been tough. You know, I played against him many, many times. So, you know, so, like, everybody does different. You know I mean? Von's more athletic. What about my man Vince? Vince who? Oh, that's my dog. But, you know, he plays inside, so I really – every time I'm on Big Vince, that's my dog, too. Every time I'm on Big Big Vince, I'm usually double-team him. I'm trying to cheap shot Big Big Vince when he don't see it coming because Big Vince is so big, man. I I got one play about Big Vince. We played them – I was in Tampa. We played them in uh, New England. We played them there. And, bro, I had my guard. And, you know, Vince been in the league forever. So, I said, when we get there, don't make the double-team call. Because he'll know it. You know what I mean? Like, don't say the double-team call. Like, double-team call is like deuce. Like, they use that all through the league. I said, do not say deuce when we go against Vince. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I'll be, I know. I just, I just call out the number. You know what I mean? That's why I used to always do. So, we get down. This motherfucker says deuce. <laughs> and me and Vince know each other. We talk a lot of trash. And Vince looks up at me. Looks me right in my eye. Adjusts his stance. Put that thing in there. My guard leaves me, too. He, he, he gets in the double team for a second. It's, just, it's gone. Man, when I tell you Vince blasting me so fast, you know how they had the pulling guard? Me and the pulling guard made eye contact when he was running by me. And it turned up the hill, turned up the thing. I was about five yards in the backfield. We still gained about 10 yards, though, but the running back ran right by us because he blew me up so bad. Like, I just – he just blew me up. I mean, it was crazy because I still remember making eye contact with the pulling guard when he passed me because he looked at me like, <laughs> but we still gained 10 yards, so it wasn't like a bad play. It was just bad on film, though. But I was like, man, Big Vince is a hell of a, hell of a player, man. He's hell. I just saw a great article on TMZ that featured you about, hey, someone hire me. You're a free agent right now. Because of that article and the reach of TMZ, do phone calls start coming in at all? Like, is it like, hey, we forgot about Donald Penn. Let's get him out here. I've, I've had a couple of phone calls throughout the year, but just, you know, this being my last year, it had to be – I wanted to be right, you know, a playoff team, something, you know, definite championship thing. So I've had a couple of uh, inquiries, but nothing nothing, nothing permanent. And, you know, now it being December, it definitely has to be a contender, though. But, I mean, we're going to see, man. It's a couple more weeks left, so we're going to see. But, yeah, I've been having calls, but just nothing like just definite set, set in stone. And, you know, some guys say they don't get back, they don't get back. You know how it is. But the good thing is I'm not pressed. I'm not like, oh, I got to play again. Oh, I got to do this. I played 14 years as an undrafted free agent. I had a great career. I started 190 games. Like, I mean, 
you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm blessed and, and content with where I'm at right now in my career. Yeah. How was that transition for you? You've had, you know, a decade and a half long career and now you're, you know, how was the, how has it been to kind of reinvent yourself after your playing days? It's been, it's been, it's been good. It's been real weird. You know, what's, what, what really helped it is the COVID and me having to have the kids and be at home school because they keep me busy. So that's like, I haven't really had a chance to sit down and be like, oh, dang. You know, when I watch football on Sundays, I'll be like, man, you know, oh, man, I, I see some left tackles. I'm like, wow, how is he playing? And I'm not, you know, I get, I, I, I get a lot of that watching football. I'll be like, wow, why am I not in the league anymore? And I can do way better than some of these guys. But besides that, man, I do enjoy watching some of my old friends. Um, I love having more time with the kids and stuff like that. But it's an adjustment. It's going good so far. So, I mean, we're going to see. I'm um, starting to um, look in and, you know, getting TV. I would love to do TV and commentate. I feel like I have a great knowledge of football. I know a lot of guys still in the league, and I feel like I do a great job doing that. You got to play in the black hole. What's that experience like? Oh, man, I love it. You know, I grew up a Raider fan, so it was like, man, that was like – it was a dream coming true player for the Raiders. But, man, I loved it, man. They, they're they probably the best fans in the NFL. I mean, I mean, I wasn't – you know, being a lineman, people don't really know you. But when I became a Raiders, like, everywhere I go, somebody like, uh, – Raider fans are everywhere, out the country, everywhere. I mean, I find Raider fans everywhere. It's like the following so strong. And when I caught my touchdown there, I jumped in the black hole. It's crazy. I smelled like beer the rest of the game. <laughs> 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 what what's some of the craziest shit you've seen some of those fans do because their reputation i mean i'm from philly and the fans are crazy but the black hole fans that's a whole different level i feel like oh you seen them fight you see them they're smoking marijuana in the stands uh you've seen them uh show up one fan i almost got into it with him he threw a bottle of water bottle in my car uh, leave me because he's mad at me so your instagram and twitter feed if you do something wrong it's going to i still hear stuff from raider fans and i'm not even playing for them Still to this day, some fans like it's just, but you love that because the fans are just great and they love and you see how much their devotion is for that team. But yeah, they're wild, but I love them and I feel like they're the best because they're gonna have you back no matter what, win, lose, or draw. But they're gonna let you know about it too. <laughs> Speaking of your time in Oakland, you played a couple seasons with Mr. Beast Mode himself, Marshawn Lynch. Can you talk about being in the huddle with a guy like him and how a guy like that affects uh, an organization? Well, you know, we've been friends for years, even before that, and we always wanted to play with each other. We always talked like that. We used to hang out, you know, like, man, like, so it was kind of like a uh, dream come true. I, I kind of helped lobby that. I wanted to get that done. But, man, he's a he's not like – like, these most studies film. These most, you know, pays attention to a lot. He puts a lot of input in. So you guys might not know that, you know, by looking at it from the outside, but Beast Mode is really – very knowledgeable of the football game, and he, he really does study and put, puts the time in that's needed to be as great as he is. And, you know, he loves helping the young guys. And and most of all, he's fun. We had a lot of fun. Well, speaking of fun, it was just revealed, and he just revealed, that he used to do Hennessy shots pregame. It was one of his pregame rituals. Did you know about the Hennessy shot thing? Yes, my shoulder pad has got tapped with that bottle a few times. <laughs> I, I definitely know about it. Did you have any crazy pregame rituals? You know what? It was always hard for me to eat breakfast before. I could never really eat. I always played on empty stomachs. I had to force myself to eat. Like, like I don't know. And I always did, like, the same routine. From when I first got in the league, I'd do, like, the same warm-up, try to do it at the same time. I, had the same, I always had the same trainer take me before a game. I had one trainer take my ankles, a different trainer take my wrists, little things like that. But I always try to do the same routine, do it exactly the same way. 
eating before a game was very hard for me. My nerves were always bad. I, I could hardly ever eat. I used to always have to force myself to eat before a game. So that was probably the biggest one. Speaking of eating, we ask all the big boys on this podcast about their diet regimen. How does your diet change from in-season to off-season, and what does a typical day of eating look like for Donald Penn in his prime? Man, it depends, man. Off-season, you know. <laughs> off-season, we just go with the flow, uh, go or whatever. But um, during in-season, in I, do, do I do have to watch it a lot. You know, I probably have like maybe one, two cheat days, uh, you know, game day being one of them, and one day during the week. But, yeah, you definitely do have to watch it uh, during the season. But, you know, during off-season, it's, it's all a go. We uh we had Richard Jefferson on the pod, and he told us about. We asked him who the craziest teammate he had was, and he was telling us crazy stories about Gilbert Arenas. It was fucking great. Who's the craziest teammate you have had, and any fun stories? Well, look, well, most of the stories I can't tell y'all because they they kind of like you know what I mean. I don't want to get nobody in trouble or nothing like that. Or some of the stuff we we did, it got away with. But uh, I have a lot of friends, but we had a lot of fun. Really like that, we had a lot of fun and. We had a lot of fun. We, had, we did a lot of stupid, crazy things, but we had a lot of fun. And it's going to be like that. I played with a lot of good guys. A lot of, you know, when I first got in the league, I had a lot of bets when you had Brooks. You know, I had uh, Sheldon Coros. I had Simeon Rice, Rondé Barber. You know, so they taught me a lot. Kevin Carter, Chris Hovind. Uh, but I had, a, I had a fun career. Um, I have a lot of stuff I, I, I'm to keep to myself. <laughs> we just, uh, Donald, we just had Ryan Leaf on right before you. And obviously, you know, Ryan has had quite a, quite a journey filled with some crazy ups and downs. And he's doing some great stuff right now. But one of the questions we asked him was, when he was going through the toughest shit he was going through, who kind of put his arm around him and tried to help him? And he talked about how Rodney Harrison and Junior Seau really tried to guide him. And he just wasn't listening were there ever moments where you were going through some crazy shit and a teammate put his arm around you and kind of was able to help you through the tough times? Yeah, I, uh, maybe once or twice. But the thing is, I probably had to do that. I probably had to do that for – I probably have done that for so many teammates. <laughs> Even when I'm talking about teammates that aren't in the league anymore that spent all their money. I mean, if I tell you how much money I got loaned out, man, you'll probably be like, what? Like, you know, so uh, I probably have had to do that way more than has ever been needed to do with me. But I probably just had to talk to some guys maybe once or twice, but that has helped. But I probably, and I'm still doing it now, you know, I still get phone calls, you know, but, uh, you know, it's crazy all the stuff going. I don't want to miss a phone call or try to shy away from anybody, you know, with all this crazy stuff going on, people taking their lives and stuff. But yeah, I've, I've had to do it so much and I'm still doing it. Can I have your phone number? Because I'm always up for a loan if you're, if you're game. Oh, I, I, that's something I stopped a few years ago. So they know from now on that. I, I just don't do it anymore. That's something I don't do. Family, everybody just don't do that anymore. During the height of his career, Warren Sapp said he was a fan of yours and you were one of the best five linemen in the NFL. Sapp is obviously a Hall of Famer, arguably one of the most famous Bucks of all time. You were with Tampa for most of your career. What is the impact Warren's had on that franchise? And do you have any interesting Warren Sapp stories you want to share? Nah, Warren, I mean, even on the city and everything, man, him and Derek Brooks and Ronnie Barber, you know, the way they walk around that city, they're going to be gods out there forever. Uh, they really brought that team around and, you know, they're legends out there. Sap's, Sap's been a good friend. You know, after, after Sap started talking about me, you know, I met him a few times after that and then, you know, we got close and he, we got real good. Cause first time I saw him after that, I was like, man, thanks for acknowledging me, you know, giving me the love. He was like, he was like, nah, don't thank me. He said, shoot, I watched film. He said, I saw what you was doing. He said, I was just being honest, you know. 
and we've been good. But um, you know, me and me and Sapper have had some good nights. We've had some good nights out, and we have a good time. He's a great guy. He's um, a great guy to go out and have fun with. Uh, he's a good dude. I still talk to him all the time. Yeah, he's, we still text here and there. Anytime he's in LA, he texts me. You know, we try to hook up. But yeah, that's still a good, 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 good friend of mine. What was your philosophy? You obviously had the privilege of making millions of dollars over your career. Did you have a philosophy once you started making that type of money about whether it was saving or investing or just, you know, making sure that you were going to be financially viable later in your career and after your career? Yeah, the biggest, the hardest part was telling myself, no, you know, you, you, you look at the stuff and you want all this and want all this. So, you know, I had to really sit down and tell myself, no, and be like, all right, this is how we're going to do it you know, create long-term. And, you know, the biggest thing that made me, well, that opened my eyes up for that was probably when I had my first son. You know, I'm like, oh, I got to make sure these guys are straight, that I had another kid. You know, I was like, okay, I got to make sure I got something for these guys. You know, I don't want them to have to get it out the mud like I did. You know what I mean? I want to make it a little easier for them, you know, guide their way to what they want to do and stuff. So so I think that's probably the biggest thing that made me change that mentality to, you know, hey, this has to last a long time, you know what I mean, once my kids came involved. We talked to Ike Taylor, who said the biggest, he, the best advice he got was blend in with your city. When you were in Oakland or even like Tampa, is there a different kind of lifestyle you lead than, say, Minnesota? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, Minnesota has a nightlife, but Minnesota, you got to drive an hour, 30 minutes to get downtown. Uh, Tampa, they have a great nightlife, and it's right there for you. You know, um, Oakland, they have a nightlife, but you're not going out, out in Oakland. You got to drive to San Fran, you know. So, so stuff like that is different. And by the time I got to Oakland, I was older in my career. I wasn't going out doing all that much stuff. You know, I had to rest and let my body heal. You know, I wasn't a spring chicken where I could recover as fast. So, you know, it is definitely different. Um, it depends on what type of person you are and what type of guy you are. I know a couple of teammates in Tampa that used to love to go fishing, and they were perfect there. They were, they were from, the um, you know, the Midwest and stuff. They used to hunt and do all that. So, you know, being there was perfect. They always go out there and go fishing, you know, stuff like that. So it blends in with certain people. I have people that – I play from the country. I live in Oakland. They can't wait to get back home and go go hunt, you know, stuff like that. So, you know, it, it goes both ways. Who was, from a coaching perspective, who was the best coach you ever had? The guy that either you learned the most from or was just the best tactical coach? I probably have to say, uh, you know, it's one, I, it's, you see, he always asks me someone up. It's hard to sum up one, but I have to say, uh, you know, John Gruden, uh, Raheem Morris, uh, and uh, I would definitely have to say uh, – you know, Coach Mike Tyson, my um, assistant line coach, Tony Soprano, rest in peace, and uh, Coach Bill Muir, my first offensive line coach in Tampa. I have to really thank them for getting to where I'm at, really. Speaking of Gruden, obviously Gruden is kind of a cartoon character. Does he, does he like, fully embrace that he knows the cameras are on him and he just goes into Gruden mode and video game mode? No, nah, does, it doesn't matter. Cameras, when I played with him with Tampa and he wasn't this popular, I play with him in Tampa the same exact way. It's always like the same exact way. Um, he brings that energy. That's how he is. He brings the energy. He wants the same energy from everybody on his team that's playing for him as he brings. But he was that way in Tampa before he got on Monday Night Football, before that. So, like, all this is just – people that know him play for him, it's like, oh, that's just group. Like, it's not new. He always gave those great speeches, always had those, those things that rhyme and ad-libs. You know, he always had that. I know in 2018, you gave him the business after he took another tackle in the draft. Now that you're a bit removed from that, how would you summarize your time with Gruden? I, mean, I love Gruden. Um, I, I will always, he always my special spot in my heart. I'm always going to be appreciative of him. He gave me my first start. He, had, he believed in me when other people didn't. Uh, he gave me my first chance. 
And, uh, you know, man, I always got love for him. Uh, you know, the business side is the business side. And if I don't look at it, at it as a business side, I've had a great relationship with, with Groot. You know, the business side has affected a little bit, though, but I still love the guy, and I would never, ever talk down on or ever, ever tell some of our secrets that we have together and never, ever come out. I'm too respectful to that guy, and I feel like he has the same respect for me, too. And, uh, you know, a lot about, man, my ass off the Groot. I would never, never say anything bad about him. You know, we had the business side uh, tapping our relationship a little bit, but, man, that shit's over with now, man. We, we good. I still talk to him. I talk to him. So at the beginning of the season, so we're good. There was just a, a great moment where Aaron Rodgers was on the Pat McAfee show, and he took a subtle shot at the Green Bay front office in regards to them drafting a quarterback. And he's like, yo, guys, I'm Aaron Rodgers. I'm not done yet. Everybody relax. When you're a player, and you're obviously now in the second half of your career, and you know that, like you had mentioned, business is business, and a team is going to be looking to fill your shoes sometime soon. When you see them actually draft your potential replacement, what is it like being a player in that position, seeing that draft happen? Well, I was pissed. I was like, man, you know, because, you know, talking to everybody and everything I had was they never mentioned a left tackle on first round. We had so many other needs as a team. It's like, and I'm coming off my second Pro Bowl in a row. I'm just like, how do you replace a two-time because uh, two-time consecutive Pro Bowler with a rookie, you know. And uh, the biggest thing that was killing me was I was coming off of my first major injury ever in the football thing. I was still recovering. It hurt when they did this. So I thought they were giving up on me. And I was knew I wasn't going to be healthy to actually compete and fight for my spot during training camp because I didn't start practicing until the week before the season, you know. So I knew all that was going in. So I knew it was going to be a tough uphill battle. But I was up for it. Uh, man, Colton Miller's a great kid. He's a great guy, man. The way he's grown from his rookie year to now, man, he's playing some great football, man. I have no ill will against him. Uh, I even told him that. I helped him so much that year. I tried to. I hope I did. I don't know. He the only one that knows, but I tried to help him as much as I can, man. I, I love that kid. So, there ain't no ill will, no hard feelings. He's playing great football right now. That offensive line is looking real good. And I'm still a Raider fan to this day. I'm always going to be a Raider fan. It's got to be so hard. I think to myself, if – I'm in that position. Like, Aaron obviously had a weird situation with Brett Favre, and Brett was like, I don't want to help you because I know you're my replacement. When do you kind of make that decision in your head that, look, this is what it is. Let me see if I can help this younger player, even though he may end up taking my job. I didn't really have to make that decision because that's just me. It's natural me. I've been doing that my whole life. I've been doing that my whole career. That's how the older guys did me when I was coming up. You know, I kind of went through a situation where I had a guy whose spot I took, and he knew I was taking the spot. And, um, you know, he still helped me out. You know, he's always there. We still hung out all the time. I couldn't tell that he had any ill feelings or any ill will about me and what he knew kind of was going to happen. And, you know, seeing that growing up in your career and learning that, I mean, you're going to keep doing what you learn. That's what I learned. I've always helped guys that come in, you know, even if it was my replacement. You know, I, I still uh, – well, I don't think I've done it this season, but last season I text Colton like, I saw some stuff on film. I, I texted him, like, what are you doing? You know what I mean? Something that we used to always talk about. You know, between me and him, so I saw him do it. Tennessee had coming back when I was watching the game. And I think it was last season. I don't think I texted him this season, though. But, yeah, last season, he's like, oh, man. We was laughing. He's like, dang, you saw that? Day? He said, yeah, yeah. I, I slipped back a little bit, but I'm going to get it back going. You know, there's little stuff. I still talk to him. You know what I mean? It's not, we're a family, you know I man? I made some friends for life in this football game. Yeah, you mentioned Tennessee, and they obviously have one of the biggest beasts in the game with Derrick Henry. And then you'll see all these like memes where Derrick Henry is like just stiff arming cornerbacks and throwing them onto another universe. Who was the biggest beast you ever saw on a football field? 
Shoot, Derrick Henry probably shoot. That dude's huge, bro. I walked by him one time. I was like, man. I said, bro, how you, how you my height? Running that ball, man. I probably have to say Derrick Henry. I don't know who else to say. I think uh, Derrick Henry. Who was that? was this running back from Florida State back in the day. I think when I first got in the league. I don't know what happened. I think I hurt. He was huge, too. But, my, nah, I don't mind to say Derrick Henry, shoot. But the way um, Aaron Donald looks with no pads to be able to play as a defensive lineman and how, how much he weighs is incredible. What do you think of guys like DK Metcalf and Tyree Kill and, you know, what we're seeing talent-wise with these guys, new guys in the league? I don't know what they put in the water these days, but these guys are growing and coming out a lot bigger and a lot faster and stronger than I was when I came out. So I don't know what's, what's going on. I hope my son's drinking some of it. All right, Donald Penn, we'll let you out on that one. Thank you for joining me on this Hustle Podcast. Great career. Thank you for joining. You're welcome back anytime. All right, have a good one. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks Donald. Take care, right. man. Bye. All right, folks, that was legendary offensive lineman Donald Penn. You know, Matt, one of the things that I really loved hearing about from him and I thought he was really honest and candid about was there was that huge story, obviously, this year with Aaron Rodgers when they drafted his potential future replacement and Aaron's reaction to it. Donald really gave us some great insight into he's gone through that. And what is it like when you're starting to fade? You know the team is ready to move another direction. You know it's all business, but at the same time, it still gets personal. He really gave us some good feedback on that. I really enjoyed that part of the conversation. Yeah, I did too. It's something that like is probably scary for athletes because it's like this was your whole persona for and since since many of them were like 15 years old. So that transition, and that's something I think we talk about on this podcast a lot, but just how different people handle that kind of, you know, big question mark after, you know, you, you hang up the cleats or whatnot. So I, I appreciate Donald for being open and honest with us. Yeah. I also love though, by the way, look at the playoff games this week. You got Breeze who's 88 years old playing and Tom Brady was like 92. And meanwhile, those guys are playing as if they're like 24 right now. So, you know, it's amazing when you look at positionally, as an offensive lineman, he was probably done in his early 30s for the most part, and he was already on the decline. And we hear that from so many of the NFL athletes we talk to. But you've got guys like Brady and Breeze who are going to probably be playing into their wheelchair years. And I always wonder if you're like someone like Donald Penn, or you're like, man, what I would do to be playing into my 40s right now and keep making, keep making the money I was making. Yeah, it's going to be interesting because Brady and Breeze might be the last of their – kind of the last dinosaurs because like Jared Allen said, the NFL is moving into the run pass option and that's going to require quarterbacks with legs. And obviously, you know, Breeze and Brady haven't really relied primarily on their legs. So it'll be interesting to see like this next generation of football, like what the top age is before you get to hang them up. So maybe we're seeing, uh, we're seeing history here, Arthur. By the way, Donald's not even done yet. That guy's still looking for a job right now. I mean, he's very open. He's a free agent. I don't think he's even, said the word retirement yet. So listen, after seeing Donald and his career, we might still see him on the field. We may, we still may see a pro ball out of Donald Penn, but great guy, great interview, and uh, really enjoy talking to him. I hope someone does give him a chance. Anytime you have a young NFL team, especially leadership, like the stuff that he can bring to a team is invaluable. So Donald, we're cheering for you, brother. Thanks for a great chat, and uh, good luck getting the next job. Arthur just became his agent, you know, after talking. Uh, right, right. Jesus, Seriously, I want a commission. Can... I'm in. 
He needs to put you on the payroll. All right, fellas and ladies listening at home, be sure to keep up with us on social media at endless double underscore hustle on Twitter and at endless hustle pod on Instagram. You can watch our interviews on Bro Bible's YouTube channel. We are posting them so you can see our beautiful faces as well as the guests. And if you want to follow me personally on Twitter, I'm at Mr. Kohan, K-E-O-H-A-N, and same on Instagram and R-D-U-R. I'm at It's Me, Arthur Cade on Instagram, at Arthur Cade on Twitter. Follow us both, and thanks for supporting the cause. We'll be back Tuesday with another fun episode. We're chatting with Frank Stallone, as well as the cast of the Canadian comedy that's blowing up, Letterkenny. It's going to be a fun one. Please subscribe. Please listen. We love you. Have a great weekend, guys. Peace. Peace.